the Stay at Home Festival podcast. This is Friday morning's episode. Robin and Josie are on Josie's birthday, I should add, were joined by Tamsin Edwards and Dallas Campbell, as well as Ben Bailey Smith, who you might better know as Doc Brown, and also some music from the brilliant Tanita Tickerham. Cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to tip uh, for performers and venues that are facing closure. Uh, obviously, the people aren't facing, they're effectively facing personal closure with no income for the next few months. And if you'd like to support us at Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can do that. We did a live stream uh, last night exclusive for Patreon supporters, myself and Robin and Josie and Grace Petrie joined us as well to have a chat and play some music. We'll try and do a few more Patreon live streams as well. So if you want to get access to those, become a Patreon. Here's today's episode. Thank you. Bye. That was weird. Good morning and welcome to Shamble Stay at Home Festival. Very, very special. It's the Josie Long birthday special episode of the Shamble Stay at Home Festival. It's what this has been building up to. If you've been following the narrative of the previous four weeks, there's been various little clues that have all been building up to this sudden twist of fate in which Josie Long turns out to be 38 at the end of the series. It's not just the end of the series. We'll be doing someone else on Monday because it turns out everything's been extended. So we'll probably be giving you a call and seeing if you can guest on the show before long. Um, how are you, birthday, Josie Long? There with your muffin and your, your tea, is it? Oh, your, your, your Grace Petrie merchandise. I hope she gave you a, a, a little bit of a kind of discount on that because sometimes did you have to pay full price for the mug i paid double oh yeah she is like that she is like that there's nothing more remarkable a, a socialist on stage a capitalist by the merchandising stall and that's why we love her uh she is so many different things how are you feeling then i'm all right i'm a bit ill um i'm feeling um yeah all right i'm i'm fine i've, I've got my presence Got your cough, and you always said, "I remember you had that on your list of things you wanted for your birthday." I hope someone gets me a cough. You said, didn't I you? I said, "I hope I wake up on my birthday in lockdown with coronavirus. That would be the dream." <laughs> and lucky me, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm, it's you know, uh, I I feel I feel old insofar as who cares if you're 38. You know, I'll be 39 next. Who cares? <laughs> it's a nice little birthday. I had a lion. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just looking out. I'm, I'm trying to find some younger friends. Trying to find some younger friends, as you know, because you're no longer any use to me whatsoever. If I ring up and go, hey, Josie, what do the young people think? Go, I don't know, but I think they've been near my door again. <laughs> you know, and then so I, I, that, that you've... Uh, um, we, uh, yeah, I'm good. I, I watched the, the Mandalorian last night because I, I broke... Finally, my son broke me and I allowed him into that world. World. and it's uh it's got an amazing cast it's such an interesting thing that john favreau who of course has gone on to make you know things like the iron man film stuff but who i remember from you know swingers which was you know late 90s kind yeah. of um, movie. and and the, so john favreau's done it and then you've got uh nick nolte's in it uh and uh taika watiti is in it and Werner herzog huh. is the kind of what might be considered to be mafia boss uh villain so it, it does offer me rewards, but at the end of it, when I turn to my 12-year-old and say, well, now I think we can watch Fitzcarraldo, he does not want to watch anything about trying to create an opera house in the rainforest. I know. 
What is it about 12-year-olds that don't want to see lengthy Teutonic films about the creation of South American opera houses? No idea. It's sad, isn't it? <laughs> what now, show what and tell is your... today? Or is it merely you, birthday you? Is this? It's an English muffin I made yesterday. Oh. It's disgusting. It's awful. It took me two hours. <laughs> it's heavy. It's underbaked. It's gluten-free. It's pure... Oh, I'm so frustrated. The other week I made scones. It was the most joyful experience of my life. Just whacked them all together. Delicious. This unbearable. Sorry, to you missed negative. out. Was it? Was it? Did you put in baking? Was it a in baking? Was it a lack of baking powder? No, I'm just actually, wondering if that's why the lightness isn't there. I ran out of milk, half so water, and I think uh. you can really feel the lack of luxury. <laughs> well, anyway, it's nice to see you now on prison food. Anyway, and really going for the whole theme of the the next three weeks. Um, I've got. I just. I, I opened my opened my uh, badge box. It's not. To, I've never collected badges, and yet I seem to have hundreds of badges. If you see, what I mean, it's it's never been a deliberate action. And uh, I found, uh, amongst others, this is from uh, the Curzon. I think from a screening of Multiple Maniacs, the uh, oh, quite wow. early John Waters movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a Dave Gorman Better World badge from his uh, his show Better World. Um, two Ben Moore badges. And if, if uh, people don't know the work of Ben Moore, go and find the work. This I is have more stuff. trees to climb. Well, this there we go. That? that is the badge. I have more trees to climb. Uh, there we are. And uh, not everything is significant, which I think is a very useful badge, especially at this time. And I never know where this came from, but I've had it for years. I'm with the Karate Kid. He's a winner. <laughs> No idea where that came from. That's uh, that's the original Karate Kid. Obviously, not the disappointing uh, remake. You need Pat Morita if you're going to have a Karate Kid movie. What would it mean to be with the Karate Kid? Well, there's a lot of painting. There's a lot of cleaning. Generally, it turns out he uses his skills as an alibi to make me do odd jobs around the house. He's learned everything from Pat Morita. He knows what he's doing. Um, so, oh, we should say, so today's show, uh, we, uh, we we have uh, Dallas Campbell, uh, we have Tamsin Edwards, we have Ben Bailey-Smith, we have Tanita Tickerham, uh, we will be talking about lots of different, we have, uh, also I should mention on Monday, because we almost, we kind of hoped this would be the last week we were going to do this, but obviously now we're going to extend it uh, for the next three weeks, whether you want, want it or not, um, and watch it whether you enjoy it or not, really punish yourselves, <laughs> add to that extra punishment by dragging out your day, um, and... Uh, uh, we're going to start the next week with uh, Mark Gatiss as a kind of because he was our first guest at the kind of proper start of it four weeks ago. And so, Mark, and we're actually going to do that Q&A that we had uh, and we never got around to ask him all the questions that you sent. So if you have more questions, <coughs> Mark Gatiss, please send them to us. And we'll just quickly mention again uh, also the tip jar at the bottom, the tip jar at the bottom here. If uh, you can, uh, if you do enjoy this and you think, oh, yeah, I'll give them a small amount of money, uh, please do. Uh, it's not money for me. It's money that will get shared around uh, amongst some of the performers who've kind of hit the wall, some of the performers who really did rely on the day-to-day -day gigs to pay their bills, and also some of the art centres out there, which, again, is what we're already seeing them closing down. And uh, this week we were able to give some money to the Rondo in Bath and the uh, Old Fast station in oxford and the little angel puppet theater uh and uh hopefully by the end of kind of like again in about two weeks time we'll have built up enough money to send that off to some other art centers as well and other parts of the uk so uh i hope you enjoy the show and can we have some of your money and that is the housekeeping done
Beautiful. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, because I really am coughing a lot today. Well, not only that, you're coughing, and to make it worse, you're having a really disappointing muffin. So once you've got a tickly throat, and then you're placing things in your body that your body wants to reject for culinary reasons, that's not good. This is not the birthday face we hope to see. It's... <laughs> So now I'm let's... vital. I'm so youthful. Oh, I'm about to broadcast something, Gigi. Um, so we are so, uh, Henry, joined. So just be by... careful. You might, we might on even hear. I'm not even sure if you can hear them already because we've got. You're joined by our guest that we're going to see after Tanita's song, uh, Ben uh, Ben Bailey Smith. I can actually hear him, so I better mention because I think everyone else could probably hear him as well. Um, so we're going to. I don't know how this one's going to work. Uh, basically, his webcam didn't work, so this is all very impromptu. We're going to do because you have turned up. Hello, Ben. How are you? Oh, no, now he's muted. Now he's gone. That's fine. This is now the worst episode we've ever done. And we've now <laughs> moved on to a waitress. No. Waitress. No. So let's Come move on. over to Tamsin Edwards and Dallas Campbell, who are joining us, like everyone else, from yes. their room by and, their book. Uh, yes. uh, and how, uh, how, how are you both? We're very well. We're very well. Oh, Josie's not even taking any notes anymore. God, I'm a, I'm I'm a dead weight today. I am just sit dead back weight. And relax, right? Thank you for saying happy birthday. I really appreciate it. Hello to both of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> the um, this has never been more Dickensian than it is today. This is our, our definitely our Dickens special. Um, Dallas, I wanted to ask yeah. you first of all, like a, a few people that I know, you're kind of adapting to this by going right. Well, what can I do? And you've at the moment, you're kind of working to some extent as a postman as well. I mean, obviously, most people know you from acting and, and science communications, stuff like that. But you're not. Most people now know me as the postman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is good. I, I'm actually really enjoying it. I, it's quite fun. I, I mean, I live in an apartment building and there are 130 apartments and um, our concierge wasn't allowed to work anymore. And so the post was just. Get, get you know building up in a big pile by the front door so I took it upon myself to because basically I, I don't have any other real uses in life I thought well, I'll be a postman. Dallas is now lord of the manor. Yeah it's yeah. great and I and I yeah and it's I feel useful and I. You must and, know who everyone is. As I know who everyone is. I've been steaming open mail I've been holding it up to the light to so I know everyone's business <laughs> and it's great. Oh, another Amazon package. Ooh. Yeah no 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 I've, I've been really enjoying it. I, I really like I like it it's a bit of exercise I've got to walk up a lot of stairs i've got to put all the letters and things in numerical order so mentally it keeps me alive uh, it's all good there's no this, bad things about being a postman this has Talking a real to your dad just after he's retired vibe this conversation <laughs> yes <laughs> actually funny enough when my my gives me a bit of structure yeah my, structure. yeah my dad really interestingly my dad when he was my dad was a pilot he was an airline pilot and he wow. was, he retired quite young he was I think he was 55 maybe when he retired and of course he was he was young and his whole life had been so structured around working for the airline you he knew where he had to be at a certain time he knew around the air you know everything was done in a certain order and then suddenly he was just cast adrift into this world that he knew nothing about and he went properly crazy he had a bit of a breakdown oh, and so eventually well not I mean not a you know not a he just he didn't know what to do with himself and and, and had a bit of a crisis and so went to work uh, just in the local petrol station, in the local Shell petrol station. And that was it. He, it sort of sorted him out. You know, having, having work and doing something that's useful, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just uh, it's a very, humans like it. We like the routine and we like yeah. 
to know that we belong somewhere. And so, yeah, it's been really, I've been freelance my whole life and actually, you know, having something like just doing a post round and, and sort of talking to people and helping people and chatting and doing all that's been brilliant. That's your so whistling? nice. Hmm? Is your whistling any good? My whistling, it's not bad. My whistling's not bad. And I'm quite tuneless, as is the correct thing. And uh, I'm, I'm kind to animals as well. So the odd dog and cat that I meet is... And fox. Like, and fox, yeah. Yeah, I've heard they've become... A bit, I've been reading about the fact the urban fox is really on. And this is ours now. We've really got... And there's a certain kind of... Uh, you know, the kind of arrogance one would normally see in a Charlton Heston film of the early 70s yes. uh, about him waking up in a world run by foxes. Um, <laughs> There is an interesting tradition, though, of uh, in terms of uh, postman. There are some, like I was thinking, Dan Rhodes, who is a wonderful author, uh, also a postman. C.J. Stone, who who wrote, amongst other things, Fierce Dancing, uh, and uh, most of the postmen that I know have had. You find out that they they were in a band, or they are in a band, or, or you know, that there seems to be an yeah. interesting level of creativity that can also, you know, that the it's it seems to be chosen by some people as like kind of um, right. I think I'm still going to have enough time to create that thing. (laughs) And also it is a wonderful, it's one of the things that I find sad about the way since the kind of privatization. And now that I don't know about you, but around where I live, there's not a regular postman. We used to have a regular postman called Phil and he was brilliant. And uh, Phil's a big cricket fan. He once got, I I was going off to interview Mike Brearley and he gave me a copy of a Mike Brearley book. I said, don't lose it. Can you get it signed? Right. And he's, but he, the communication that people have, especially people who are not just in this period of time, those people who spend a lot of their life being housebound, being isolated, I think that was a great thing. And I think it's a real pity that there is a loss of that communication. And wh- why it's changed, I don't know. For what private reasons of the privatisation, they've, they've ruined that. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. It, it, no, I agree. And it, it's really, it's, I like it because it's social as well. I get to talk to all kinds of people. And actually when the Royal Mail, I've got, I made a, the Royal Mail woman who comes and drops the big, all the sort of packages off. We have great long conversations. She's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. She's gone into the whole um, 5G world, which is a bit kind of strange, but that's okay. But we have these big sort of, we've got into some quite big subjects. Um, uh, science, Dostoevsky, we've been talking about recently. And it's been, yeah, it's been nice. Science is a big subject, isn't it? It's quite got all kinds of bits and and avenues you can go down, which is why I like it. We've got a regular postman. I'm sorry. Sometimes I think there's too much of it. I think there. I I think yeah. You're never going to get to the end of it, are you? What's the point of that? What's the point of a subject you can't get to the end of? Ending. It just needs a nice, neat ending. Exactly. The kind of narrative arc needs to kind of resolve (laughs) at the end of Act Seven, and it's sort of not. It's sort of left hanging. A bit like the Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh no! Don't tell me that. I'm not going to have to drag myself through that, and then it's going to have a. Oh. I'm not going to watch it. I refuse to watch it. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Actually. I was going to ask you, terms in it uh, because working in in. Yeah, it's been very strange in academia, I know, during a period of time where basically there was a strike and the moment that ended, then everything went into isolation and everyone in, in your world trying to juggle that way of making sure that all of those people, you know, that you've been teaching, etc. So how has that transition been? How has it been for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, my inbox is even more of a disaster than, than usual. I. I've been amazed at how well a lot of students have adapted to this kind of, I mean, they had incredible disruption. They all got flung to the far corner of the earth. They had to pack up their accommodation or they went home without their stuff and they've got to come back later and figure out whether to still pay for accommodation. You know, they're well, and they're trying to study with, you know, little brothers and sisters around and, 
you know, I think the, the thing that's the hardest um, is so many of them have been affected by COVID in their family as well. Like my heart is absolutely broken by some of the stories of their parents and grandparents that like, really seriously ill. They're trying to juggle sort of study. They're apologizing to me for not, you know, for not doing something when, you know, it's because someone's, you know, incredibly ill in their family. And so they're really doing their best, bless them. And, and you know, just trying to get there. And we're trying to work out how to obviously do remote teaching next year as well so that any international students that in their respective countries or even don't come into London from other parts of the UK we can still teach them remotely. And I, want, I wanted to ask you we about talking before we went on air about conspiracy theories now you of course been you know studying uh, the science around climate change for a long period of time and you must have seen over that period of time the change in the conspiracy theories around that I mean, certainly I noticed, I remember you know, some of the people that, for instance, on social media used to just seem like, oh, I can see maybe they're a bit sceptical about it all. And then there's a certain jumping off point where you go. And now it appears to have become, you know, just an incredible level of, of, of fury and a refusal to take on evidence. So I just want to, you know, do you feel from looking at that world that's helped in any way with understanding what's going on now with some of the conspiracy theories? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's probably... Uh confirmed what I already know is that it's um, almost impossible to change people's minds. Right? You know, I mean, the kind of the levels of different kinds of climate scepticism and sort of contrarian sort of views on climate change, I don't think they really change through time in individuals. I think that different individuals kind of step in and out of the debate more. So, so the ones who really think that the kind of hardline CO2 isn't a greenhouse gas, you know, fully kind of, uh, it doesn't have any warming effect at all kind of paid up you know this is all all nonsense people they were kind of quite big a while ago sort of faded out and then kind of came back more with the trump sort of uh side of things but then and then some of the ones who are more kind of close to the mainstream climate views but just a bit skeptical about the policy and the details of the climate change a lot of them have kind of stepped back in recent years i think it's partly they kind of got tired of it i think partly the you know, the the way that society is seeing climate change has, has, you know, it's obviously really taken off with kind of people wanting to take action in the last year or so. So I think for whatever reason, whether it's because they are cross or fed up or feel they're not winning the argument or, or whatever, they've kind of slight, a lot of them have kind of slightly taken a step back. Or I think that. in a way, like people, because I, I don't know, or maybe it's already happening and I'm too disconnected, but at some point someone will be able to very clearly see what money went in at what points to sort of astroturf climate change denial because I feel like it's not something that is organic, really. It's something that was very clearly, like, created to make sure that climate scientists were stymied and, and that policy didn't change. Yeah. And I feel like... Maybe now because reality is biased, you know, the truth is is around us. It's harder for people to kind of participate in something that isn't organic and is wrong. Well, I think, I mean, there's obviously a lot of research been done in how the thing got polarised in the first place. I mean, it's definitely not as simple as kind of everyone is a skeptic. Logic. Mm. If logic didn't get yeah. them to... A that position to begin with, logic's not going to get out, them out of it. And that's what I was going to say. That's what it's I was not... going to say. It's not that people are changing their minds now. It's that they feel that they are, you know, not winning the battle or whatever because, you know, Greta Thunberg and Extinction Rebellion and Net Zero targets and all of this stuff is 
sort of taking the lead and they feel um you know out, outside of that and kind of ostracized by that debate and so it's you know in some senses kind of stepping back from it it's not that people are changing their minds i don't think right um, i wondered what what your that was my is. conspiracy theory on conspiracy theories <laughs> that was my uh-huh. i've solved it conspiracy theorists because we all we're all human beings we all selectively yeah. pick things that we agree with you yeah. know mm. I mean, there are, there's obviously, you know, there's some overlaps, again, with the cultural stuff around people who are more likely to be sceptical about uh, or disagree with big government action on climate change might be then also sceptical of big economic lockdowns on coronavirus that hurt the economy and, uh, you know, restrict freedoms. We've seen a lot of that already, haven't we? And then and then in terms of the more hardcore end, someone like Piers Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn's brother, who's um, a really... Yeah, weather guy! Yeah, he's, he's one who really, really thinks CO2 isn't a greenhouse gas at all. He also has tweeted about the 5G conspiracy. So there's, yeah. you that know, it's be hard at Christmas. It's not going to be an easy Christmas dinner, do you know what I mean? Because he's I'm not... Better, better than the other day. But there's not, there's not like pretty... a one-to-one correlation of like, if you don't like climate change and climate action, then you are against action on coronavirus. But there is, there is a massive Venn diagram between all these conspiracy theories. If you're a 5G conspiracy theorist, you probably also believe in chemtrails and you, you will also believe in the deep state and you'll also believe in satanic pedophile groups in secret <laughs> but I mean, that's they not, all they all feed into each other but i think the common theme is things like lack of control over your own life yeah you mm-hmm. know and that you're trying to sort of um regain a sense of like authority and knowledge and control over your environment i think that's what a lot of conspiracies think probably have in common don't they of that actually that you know the elite or the or the or the scientists or the politicians are the are in control and so it's a way of regaining control saying ah but i know what's really going on and i know you know how, how things really are and it's, and it's people who don't have power I if think. we all just got an allotment i feel like these yeah, things would go would if work. we all just tended an allotment we'd all be fine well, it does lead to an incredible, you know, because it allows you not to have to read anything that's really hard, I think, because that's because well, if you once you go, the moon landings are a lie. But once you can take something as an enormous piece of history with that amount of evidence, once you can go, I don't wish to believe that, as you said, that that bit means that you can then say nothing is true. So you only have to read Nexus magazine, which is a tremendously tiresome magazine. Um, and, and that and that's it. You never have to get to you. You never have to have doubt about your ability to understand things because you can see deeply. You can see more than anyone else. Exactly. And they all claim to be open minded. We're the open. We're the open minded one. You scientists are the closed minded ones. And it's really interesting. I went to a, t- a couple of years ago. I went to the Flat Earth Convention in Birmingham to try and oh, see, wow. see what was going on. And it was absolutely fascinating because they all, you know, they do that. It's just like going to a normal scientific academic lecture. It's a stuffy room full of stuffy people and the, <laughs> the, the AV doesn't work properly and there's all that stuff in a site, you know. And it's they use the language of science. It's all using couched in scientific language and they talk about the scientific method and they talk about popper and falsification, all this kind of stuff. But actually, what they—it's it, not that they don't like science. It's just they don't like scientists because you know the, the, your evidence is the wrong evidence, and you know your experimental evidence doesn't mean anything because I've done my own experimental evidence, and we can see quite clearly that there's the no results curve. because you have this particular. Yeah, agenda. and it's a, it's a deep mistrust of authority is what is, seems to be where it comes from. And of course, now we have the internet, all these kind of different fractured groups. And I was thinking about Robin actually. 
because I know you, I remember you did a, a program about hollow earth about people who believe them yeah hollow hollow earth that hollow earth rabbit hole earth it's is. fun really sorry you might have the, to explain the hollow earth so that before before there were flat earthers before this whole newfangled flat earth thing we've had the last few years um, there was a whole group that believed that the earth was hollow and not only Why? hollow. What? Because clearly there's a, the, the elites and the paedophiles and the flying saucers all inhabit this hollow what earth. What things going on in the middle? Well, no, I'll I show you. Hang on, I'll show you what's Oh, this quite, yeah. I didn't stop. stop believing a new earth, like square oh, earth. Seven. I thought it was space. I've got all the scientific yeah. literature. <laughs> so, so this is quite, so this is basic, this is the sort of classic hollow earth. Uh, that's what's going on in the middle. Oh, oh, well, it's very compelling, actually. Now it's I've seen the evidence. And anyway, this is all the... There's uh, a sun inside. But not only... <laughs> this is, we've had, they've had conversations with the people who live there. Anyway, but, my, but this was kind of quite big, obviously, sort of pre-internet. And I feel sorry for the hollow earthers because they've been rather usurped by the publicity <laughs> of the flat earthers. Yeah. And I'd kind of like to see the flat earthers and the hollow earthers get together. But, was it, but when we were at the flat earth, uh, conference. It was interesting because I was there with a, with some PhD astrophysicists, and there was a sort of a they were challenged to a debate. And the interesting thing was that the PhD astrophysicists were really bad at explaining why the Earth is round because they just that's not what they do all day. They just don't have uh, you know they were whereas the flat earthers because they spend all their time talking about this in this mm. in this in the way that they do they they kind of sort of won the argument and it was just a, this kind of rhetorical nonsense that, that went on and it, i don't know it was a it was a strange it was a strange event because there's nothing you can say logically that can talk anyone out of believing that the earth is flat well, well, again it, they don't believe anyone's been into space and they believe if they have been into space everything <laughs> is, is, is uh, those who do it's like that moon landing that that some people now some moon hoaxes now do believe that yes people did go to the moon but not the people you've seen because yeah. they all died on the moon you know so there's all of these these again it's that bit that rather than make the picture simpler in the same way as when you look at the ptolemaic kind of view of of, of the universe to make all of the movements of the things that we see work it has to get more and more convoluted whereas once you remove us from being the center of uh you know of of of, of the universe then you go oh oh it's, it's that ellipse and it's that ellipse no no it's Exactly. There are two problems with the whole kind of trying to sort of give people the, the scientific facts is partly what we were saying about actually the questions that are asked and the way that they're asked are kind of can be real curveballs because you're so used to explaining the, the frontiers of knowledge that you forget how to actually explain persuade someone on the basics secondly facts don't change minds as you know as we really really know just throwing facts at people don't change their minds at, at all um but i think uh no i forgot what i was gonna say yeah, <laughs> no i had a really good what point. did you do with the hollow world oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be but i'll tell you what we'll I go over to ben we... quickly we've got, uh, ben's got his webcam working in his hammock now oh, the so... hammock cam is up yeah He's uh, a hammock. It's been just so delightful to see him just travelling out, finding the hammock and getting installed in the hammock during the conversation. Yeah, the rest um, of the rest of the audience haven't been able to see this, but we can always see at home what everyone else is doing. And Ben's setup, his cinematography for the hammock cam has been absolutely wonderful. How are you doing, Ben? Oh, the cinematography is now. <laughs> oh, there we go. Amazing. Ben, he can keep himself. Ben, Ben, I can ben, see you. Ben, we see your finger. We get, oh, I need, oh, hold on. There can we you hear go. Me now? Can you hear me? Yes, now? we can. Yes, we yes. can. Yes. Oh now, you wanted, you wanted to leap in on this technology. as well. Yeah, I just thought it was fascinating because, especially when you started talking about um, the cultural side of it, because I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I remember 
when I was, I think I was about to turn 20, and I was in a, I joined a rap group, my first ever rap group. I was so excited to be drafted into this, this group of, of, uh, of young uh, MCs. And uh, the first day we went to record around, around at someone's house, the sort of elder statesman of the group said, uh, now you're part of the group, we can let you in to what's really going on behind the matrix <laughs> and he pulled out this david ike book no and started explaining to me that all the royal family were lizards right and being young and impressionable i didn't buy any of it but i didn't want to feel out of the group now this group was young black working class uh struggling in various ways um for family members in various different difficult situations and everybody smoked a lot of very strong high-grade marijuana, right? Now, I didn't really want to go against them, so I was just sort of um denied my way around it. Um, and in the end, I was actually dragged to see David Icke uh, at Brixton Academy. <laughs> and he pre- performed... Academy? Yeah, and let me tell you something really interesting, Josie. I looked around that crowd and I was like, there's so many black people here. It really That's- blew my mind. To see this goalkeeper from Coventry <laughs> talk about talk about the you know all the all the the, the, the key figures uh, in authority be actually being lizards, and it, even then, as a youngster who hadn't you know thought too deeply about this stuff, I thought, "Fuck, man!" Oh, sorry, I thought, "Geez, <laughs> people are really searching for something to make what they see as unfair in their life seem like okay." That's you know that justifies i get it now this is why we're screwed because why would these people care about it? And, I, and i think you're exactly right saying that it ties in with all this stuff you know nothing can be ordinary you, it can't be a logical answer it has to be illogical or extraordinary in the same way that you know princess diana couldn't have just died in a car crash because she was an extraordinary person John Lennon couldn't just have been shot. Bob Marley had to have been poisoned by the CAA, CIA because they are extraordinary people, so they can't have ordinary endings to their stories, you know? And I think it all ties in, that, that cultural thing of people searching for something more rather than just going, well, may, maybe it's this, this simple answer, which, of course, in scientific terms is always the best theory, like, just go for the one that makes the most logical sense. But if that doesn't, tie into how maybe cheated you feel or how uh removed from what you see as a, a a better life for yourself if it doesn't tie into that then i think you immediately look for something else you know and uh yeah i i, I find all that stuff fascinating i mean the best one i heard last week was uh see when they're all clapping when they're all clapping at eight o'clock yeah covering the sound of the drilling mate Oh, <laughs> Covering the sound Why would of they drilling. only drill for five minutes at 8pm? <laughs> I love it. I, I love, love it. when all the little robots <laughs> came out of the 5G <laughs> mask. The little micro so robots that go into your bloodstream to manipulate you that the 5G mask send out. But it is a, I mean, you're in, that's an interesting thing you say because I know that in certain studies of, of uh, conspiracy theories, when you look certainly in kind of African American communities, because of things mm. like the, I never know if it's Tuskegee or Tuskegee, you know, study. Mm-hmm. where there were a bunch of men who basically thought they were being treated for syphilis and they weren't here was a specific group that had been chosen to then you know be put through a study so that we could uh, so it means that once you know that that's happened you go well hang on a minute if that's happened 
then that can be the gateway into every single other theory. And I think yeah. the worst thing about those theories is uh, that they are a distraction from the reality of how you might actually be able to challenge what is going on. Instead, you are so concentrating on, on what David Icke, that, 100%. that rubbish. 100%. I also don't know what you found. Having seen David Icke live, I mean, I think Brixton, he was pretty, he's, I think he's got worse. everyone been to see David Icke except me? <laughs> I, I, I met David Icke a few years ago and um, he has very weird sweat, very shiny. And um, I did say to him, I said, why, why do you, uh, why do you always bring up the lizard bit? I said, because, you know, some of your arguments, and this was quite a while ago. I said, some of your arguments I can imagine would be quite compelling to people, but I would imagine there'd be a drop off at the lizard moment. But um, <laughs> he, he was very much wedded to it. And um, but that, but that what I always find interesting is actually that I don't find him a compelling speaker to watch either. I think no. he's his no, no. every time he starts on something interesting, you then go, wow, how amazingly quickly he then got to the fact that the moon is a spaceship. That's what I find so amazing is the number <laughs> of it's not just like he's got a singular idea. It's everything that Dallas and I would have read when we were growing up. All those. Of course. From the 60s yeah, and it's 70s. tied into all of that. Oh. The interesting thing is David Icke doesn't talk about lizards anymore. anymore. If you look, you look at this more recent stuff, there's been a massive shift away from the whole kind of lizard, the moon is a spaceship thing, which is, that's quite entertaining. <laughs> he's gone down a very, it's all, he's gone very, very political now. It's gone very, very right wing. It, you know, it's all about. Do you think he looks back at his early work and he's like, oh, no, 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 don't look at those. No, no, no. <laughs> he prefaces everything he says. I, I met David Icke many, many, actually with Ken Campbell many, many years ago. Um, he, he, he prefaces everything he talks about now. He's saying, I've been right for the last 30 years. So he's a massive, massive self-promoter. Uh, and, 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 you know, but a bit like kind of looking at Nostradamus, it only comes right after the event. You never look mm. at Nostradamus and go, oh, look, this is going to happen. You only ever look at Nostradamus and go, oh, look, I can see a link. I can see the joining the dots between what's actually happened and what Nostradamus sort of said. Yeah. Dyke stuff is a bit like that. You know, you also, could, if you definitely. say everything, if you say literally everything, it's it's the stopped clock right, you know, twice, twice a day. day. That if you look at everything that he said, yes, you will find, oh, that's interesting. Ah, oh, uh, there we are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How on earth did you know in hindsight? Um, yeah. But you're, but you're right. right. Yeah, he does. You're right, Robin. He says absolutely everything. And his whole his whole thing is called dot connector. That's his kind of strap line. And the thing is about joining the dots, it's about looking up at the sky and seeing the stars. Our ancestors would look at the stars and draw dots and see patterns. They'd see a plough, they'd see Orion, and they'd make stories about it. And the thing is with mm. joining dots, if you don't have a pattern, if you don't have the numbers to go from one to two that makes up a picture of a giraffe, you can just make anything you want. And that's mm. exactly kind of what the, the, the David Icke oeuvre is really about. Yeah, and, and he's not a compelling speaker, Robin. You're exactly right. And, and, right. and, and, and what's, what's, what's fascinating about that is that pattern, especially with, with what you were saying about, <laughs> about not joining the dots, that pattern, along with being a, 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 a non-interesting speaker, public speaker, it really... <laughs> sorry, my cat's jumping about like a maniac. It reminds me of all sorts of people now who, who jump on uh, uh, populist ideas. You, you look at Trump. He's, he's not a great speaker. He'll just say, you know, I'm, I'm the goodest speaker there is. But um, he will literally throw anything at it. You know, say one thing today, next thing tomorrow. And... And he has a lot of conspiracy theorists that love him because he just jumps on that 
it's you know the me the media it's all everything's lies it's all lies which that is com- that's a compelling idea not said in a compelling way by a compelling orator but that's a compelling idea what if all of that stuff that you read is nonsense it's all lies it's all lies that that works so well for such a huge percentage of that population well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in november um after all of this because obviously he's tying he's tie- he ties all of this in doesn't he well, that's um, quite nicely, the corona he's stuff. He's going to get back in, isn't he? That's what's going to happen. Let's... I was going about, um, about trust, about the thing I was going to say earlier was about asking the question, what is it, what's that first tipping point that sends someone down that road? What's that first YouTube video, that first article, that first conversation with someone? And usually the kind of, all the evidence is that it's about, um, you know, often it's someone that you trust, someone that's like someone that has the same kind of uh, identity as you so what's interesting I guess is where it's not that that where Trump is appealing to people who are not like him where David Icke is appealing to people who are not like him what is it there is it the the, the compelling story um, because it resonates something else that someone you did trust and and, uh, and did identify mm. with um, you know did, was it a similar similar story I mean I think you know or was it purely a kind of factual thing that you rationally thought, you know, this this doesn't make sense? That sometimes happens as well. I mean, I think that's a lot of scientists. Yeah, definitely. And 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 like I said at the start, is, is there also is there also a, a class link? Is there a cultural link? Is there a racial link? Because now with coronavirus, we're seeing it in the UK and even more so in America, where there's huge, huge black or Latino areas or even ghettos. Um, that they're disproportionately ethnic minorities are, are, are getting this and suffering from it and dying from it. So that's another thing that you can tie in and go, you see, it's against us. It's against us. Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously various reasons why ethnic minorities are, are getting it worse than others uh, and, and particular lower working class where ethnic minorities as well because of the, the, the standard of living. They might not want to be inside. They live in bigger families, in small spaces. Um, so they're forced out of the house and whatnot. And then also, especially in America, in African-American communities, a disproportionate uh, amount of diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure. And, and from what I've understood from the WHO, those three things, either a com- combination of them or just one of them, is going to be a complication if you, if you get this bug. So that, that's really upsetting. And it really makes me think, being black and working class, how come none of this, I don't get involved in these conspiracies. I, d- I don't feel touched by them. And I realize I rapped about tea and now I live in a hammock with my you know, big garden. <laughs> and and I, I'm, just, I'm just not, I'm not involved, I'm not involved anymore. And, and um, so I, I think now I can look, look at it and feel, feel pained by it, but removed from it. And that makes me wonder, oh my God, is like, is there's, there's a class element to this too. Mm-hmm. You know? When I think class in, in the media especially, I think there's so few people who don't come from money and privilege in the media. Um, but the problem is you want then to carry that identity with you for your whole life and career. And you have to sort of temper this feeling of, well, actually... I am leading a very different, mm. rarefied, privileged mm. life now due mm. to the fact that I make a living doing something I love on my own terms. <clears throat> but I still carry that and understand that in a way that it isn't the case for people who never came from it. And that feeling of like detachment and yeah, um, I'm, I'm just joining in with, with um, uh, that more than anything. I don't know what kind of point I'm making, but it's um, it's a very odd 
it's a very odd place to be, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's a privilege issue, isn't it? Yeah, because I want to say things like on stage, you know, all comedians who say they're working class, you're not working class anymore. No. You, you do this, no. but at the same time, you sort of are and will be forever because you understand and you have connections and you aren't so entrenched in privilege that things won't affect you and your family and stuff like that. It's interesting. So oh. you, Tamsin, you had something you wanted to... Uh... Well, I was, gonna add, I was just actually going to add to your list, Ben, of um, I think something that people really don't realise widely in this country is the degree of water poverty in the US, exactly affecting, as you say, black working class people. There was a programme on, um, a feature on the Today programme this morning about Detroit about this. People who've had their water cut off because they haven't paid the bills, so cannot wash their hands for coronavirus and are not getting that water supply reinstated. Um, this is something one of my colleagues at King's works on, actually, Katie Meehan, is like, the, the, it's... I don't know, hundreds, tens and hundreds of thousands of people in America, mostly black working class people, don't have running water. I mean, the, the, that, the, that structural kind of inequality can affect class so much. It's staggering. Well, we have no idea that this exists, I think, in this country. The city of Flint, Michigan, that still doesn't have clean running water, isn't it? And it's been years and years. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to uh, we'll uh, take a quick break while uh, Ben's just working on his connection and we're going to uh, go over to someone who I'm uh, very pleased uh, recorded a song for us earlier this week. And uh, she is a brilliant singer-songwriter, one of my favourites. She wrote a wonderful song uh, called Glass Love Train, which is what if Philip Glass wrote a love song? This is not <laughs> what she's going to be doing today. Uh, but she's a brilliant singer-songwriter and uh, I'm sure you know her. Her name is Tanita Tickerum and here she is. Hello everyone, I'm, my name is Tanita Dickerup and I'm going to sing you a song. Thank you for inviting me to sing even. And um, so this song is called Food on My Table and it's really about giving somebody something and then taking it away, which is really naughty.
on loving you Welcome. That was Tanita Tickram, and thank you very much for doing that, Tanita. Uh, she was brilliant. It was lovely. We had her at the uh, the Christmas show that I put on with Brian Cox every year in Hammersmith. Uh, last year, she came along, and we also had Helen Sharman, uh, the first British astronaut, was there, and she uh, and they'd never met. But Helen took two Tanita Tickram songs up with her uh, for when, when she went up. And uh, it was just uh, on Mia and uh, on the way back. She, I think it's World World Outside Your Window. I, I can't. I can't but she actually was listening to that song as mad. Approach the World Again. What a lovely somebody loving your work and taking it to space that's astonishing and that work then also made her vision of space change you know, that lovely yeah. meeting of art and science yeah. where those two things as they went on together just kind of en enlarged the whole whole potential of that vision it was it was lovely um right we've not got long so i know first of all uh that uh both dallas and tamsin you have uh, a show and tell for us yeah so our, so our, our, our show and tell is uh well it's basically it's the entire Werner Herzog oeuvre. <laughs> it's every Werner Herzog film, but this one in particular. Which I've still not watched all of. I started oh, that. Sorry, that yeah. is, can I just tell the story? Yeah, yeah. So this is what started us off. This is Encounters at the End of the World. And uh, so my, my stepmom actually gave me this uh, many, many years ago because I was starting to do research into Antarctica and what Antarctica was going to do in the future. And she said, oh, I, I thought I'd get you this film. It's about, um, it's about some scientists sort of overwintering in Antarctica and going a bit crazy. Didn't think much of it, sort of sat on the shelf for probably a year, year and a half, something like that, two years. And then somehow dug it up uh, to watch with Dallas a few years ago. And... 
we were absolutely floored by it. What I loved is um, in, in every sing single scene, we reacted in exactly the same way to this film. It's this most beautiful, so it sounds like a film about the crazy scientists going crazy in Antarctica. It's so much more than that. It's about the beauty and wonder of Antarctica and there are incredible scenes um, diving under the ice shelves, uh, this sort of cathedral spaces with Russian choral music sort of booming away. There's kind of incredible moments of uh, comedy and, and lightness where, uh, you know, they're sort of, it's all about the misfits that, you know, drop to the bottom of the world. It's every, it's every Herzog theme that you're yeah. familiar with, if you know, yeah. that, if you know Herzog films, but within this extraordinary documentary, and it's not really a documentary, it's, it's that Herzog playfulness between fact and fiction mm -hmm. that he's so good. He explores this kind of weird boundary and it's interesting because very often I've, I've actually spoken to scientists about this and a lot of scientists don't like it because it's not reportage of what science is <laughs> and they get very very close but it's the I it's my and actually Herzog talking about how long but can I read you a little passage or do we oh, please yeah, yeah. I don't want to but this is sort of a Herzog talking about why he went and made this film um uh, Henry 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 Kaiser who was a cinematographer Henry told me about the Antarctic Artists and Writers Programme of the National Science Foundation, to which anybody can apply. And this is, I should do it in his voice, this was fortunate as not being a pilot, scientist, mechanic, or chef. I had little to contribute to the community in Antarctica. I made a strange and wild application, explaining that though I was curious about insanity amongst mammals, and specifically derangement in penguins, I wasn't going to make a film about the animals. My application made no secret of the fact that I was interested in a certain species of ants that kept flocks of plant lice as slaves, milking them for droplets of glucose, and wondered why a sophisticated animal like a chimpanzee doesn't utilize inferior creatures, for example, straddling a goat and riding off into the sunset. To my surprise, the National Science Foundation invited me down. There are Nobel Prize winners lined up hoping to go to Antarctica, so I had no idea why my application was successful. Once I finished the film, but before I screened it to anyone, the foundation told me they hoped it could be used as an educational tool. I told them, perhaps in a poetry class, but probably not a scientific one. Anyway, that was it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a brilliant, brilliant film, and it's um, it's it's. I tell you what it was, it kind of just reminded both of us about the possibilities of talking about science and what it is. It's not just limited to the explanation of facts and the delivery of facts. You know, there is this great poetry, this great sense of wonder, this great sense of possibility about, about the journey of science and scientists in particular. And he constructs these stories. I mean, he 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 uh, he creates situations that are entirely false to make a truer point. Yeah. So there's a famous part with this deranged penguin sort of wandering off oh, towards. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a lie, you know. It was just a penguin yeah. randomly yeah. wandering, but he he creates this greater point about the derangement of the penguin. There are these scientists lying with their ears to the ice, the ice shelf with the ocean underneath apparently listening to the creek, creaks of the ice and the sounds of the ocean underneath. I mean, he just got the scientists to lie on the floor. I mean, 
they're not they can't you know they're not it's just it's just creating the the mm. image of the scientists uh hearing these noises but they're just playing a part for yeah. Herzog it's, it's mm. the most extraordinary film and we went really deep with Herzog when um I did it for Mastermind I did Herzog yeah. for Mastermind <sighs> yeah so I, I, went, I went down the Herzog rabbit hole I went I went deep because he'd made 72 films at that point and I'd watched every single Herzog film wow. and I came out of the rabbit hole a sort of changed person wow but in moments of crisis, I go down the Herzog rabbit hole again. I've gone, we've gone down it again. Uh, we watched Stroycek the other day, which is Bruno, Bruno S. It's the most incredible yeah. film. Hearts of Glass, which is the one where he hypnotized all the actors. Absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, it's the, it's the sort of fact and fiction, that, but also the very silly and the very serious. One of yeah. my favorite yeah. lines is, I hate the, the sunlight to fall on my celluloid or on my skin. <laughs> if, he's, if you, he's so utterly serious, but so he when he's being utterly serious. And, yeah. As if you guys are so completists, you need to watch the Madagascar cartoon spinoff. Penguins of Madagascar, <laughs> because he's he spoofs he spoofs the Encounters movie himself on the Penguins film, narrating the opening yeah. with the penguins. You know those silly penguins from Madagascar. Yeah, and he narrates and he spoofs himself and Encounters in the opening narration to that film. It's fantastic. Look at the penguins. Can I Look just... at their fluffy little bum bums. <laughs> it's incredible. This is such a treat for the mums and, dad. and dads. <laughs> and so appreciated. One more thing about the penguin. The, the thing that we realised when we went listening to old interviews and panels and stuff with him, we realised, we realized, listening to this one completely random interview with Herzog, he talked about um, Kinski, you know, Klaus Kinski that he worked with all the time. And we realised, and he said, oh, well, I was trying, which was the film? Um, uh, Cobra Verdi. Cobra Verdi. And at the end of the film, he said, with Klaus Kinski, you know, I wanted him, um, you know, the scene, he's, he's sort of pulling the boat to the seaside and, and it's this ending, but that's not the ending that I wanted. I wanted Kinski to wander deranged into the mountains, right? Cobra Verdi was made several years before Encounters. What we realised later is that that must be Herzog's revenge on Kinski. And he <laughs> He basically takes the ending he wanted with Cobra Verdi, with Kinski in it, who, which Kinski refused to do, and made him the penguin yep. wandering deranged towards the mountains about six Incredible. years ago. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. That was a great show great and show. show. And, uh, um, keep up to date with everything that uh, both Dallas and Tamsin uh, are, are doing. Uh, and there's because there's uh, Tamsin, there's always interesting research work and information for and, and Dallas is. Well, we're going to work on something involving UFOs soon as well, aren't we? We'll talk yeah, about that at the time. Um, ben, we I just quickly mentioned you. You uh, our last time I bumped into you was just before Christmas, and you were entirely mm. unrecognisable. You had glasses yes. and a moustache. I, I walked into a pub, the Bricklayers That's Arms, right, yeah. with my late Michael Leg, and we walked to the bar, and the bloke just went, "All right, you two And we were like, "Oh, it's just some guy with a moustache." <laughs> you know, trying to pick us up. And, and you were, of course, Michael and me, of course, you know, the potency of these two elderly men with their psoriasis is, you know, the the, the rent voice team has never been more enlivened than by us two. Um, but uh, the uh, that that sounds you so you that's a film all about basically Dennis Nielsen that you that you that's so right it's, it's you uh, finished it didn't you yeah yeah just in yeah. time um, so and it's 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 now fully edited so it will be ready to depress everybody at some stage soon but um, yeah it's actually a three parter myself Daniel Mays uh, David Tennant uh, oh there's it's an that's actually an incredible cast some of the best actors I've ever worked with. Um, Tennant is the creepiest Nilsson you've ever seen. 
Can um, I say it's I, a perfect casting? I feel like David Tennant because he was Doctor Who. Most of the parts he plays now are GP oh, I, GPs who are evil because he's trying right. to low key be like, "I am a bad doctor. I'm a bad doctor." <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good one. Transitionary one, which is when he plays R. D. Lang. Uh, which is not a perfect film, but for, so the first half of the film in, in particular, particular about R. D. Lang, who was who was you know a very interesting. The Divided Self is his most famous work. Very interesting kind of uh, story of of ideas of of psychiatry in the sixties and seventies. But he's really great in that, and that might be the transition between good doctor, bad doctor. So he's interesting. Um, <laughs> thanks very much. I'm going to we're going to go over to Ben again in, in a moment with his show and tell. But thank you very much, everyone, for watching. As I said uh, tonight, there's Josie's Quarantine Comedy Club with John Luke Roberts yeah, and all uh, hope to get. That. Can um, I say what fun it's been that we've talked about so many like silly and interesting and ridiculous things for my birthday show? Yeah, what? happy birthday. <laughs> And also uh, on Sunday, 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 science Q and A at three o'clock. And uh, this week we have Helen Chersky and uh, Richard Wiseman and Sophie Scott. So quite a lot of neuroscience, psychology. If you have questions, also physics as well with Helen, obviously. Uh, if you if you have any uh, questions for that, send those questions in. And tomorrow there is uh, before the Sunday three uh, PM one. There is the uh, Kids Science Club at uh, eleven AM. My God, do you know what? I don't think I've ever worked so hard for no money. Oh yeah, I have. I've been pretty <laughs> long enough. Um, and uh, uh, and then on Monday we have Mark Gatiss to start the uh, the next week of shows. Mark is going to answer all Q and A's. Please remember we have a tip jar at the bottom. We are collecting money to try and make a resource for some of the performers who have been hit very hard by uh, this situation, and also to try and help give some funding uh, to some of the art centres that uh, are also such important social hubs in a lot of the smaller communities and uh, all over the place as well. So um, I hope that you are able to give uh, something. If you're not, that's also fine as well. I hope you enjoyed uh, the connection that we all had this morning morning talking about uh, the moon as a spaceship and uh, the <laughs> tiny robots that are coming out them 5g masks um stay with the karate kid remember that you want to be on his <laughs> side um ben what is your show and tell well uh, i am i'm black i'm working class i have a piano in my spacious living room uh, and i'm learning a classical piece uh for grade one um what that's what what you do in uh, Corona times, isn't it? So this is terrible. I can't play the piano, but I am trying. Um, this is a Grade One piece called Theme, which I'm pr trying to learn for my exam. So here we go. I hope you can hear it. Can you hear? It? Yeah, we yeah. can hear it. Good. Well, maybe not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, already fine. <laughs> uh, anyway that's hard this reminds me. me so much of my piano playing style style it's like no wait 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 <laughs> wait 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 that's i'm gonna be with my examiner no no i know this i know this <laughs> all right that's as much Pressure. pressure. we'll do another one where i've had a drink and i'll, I'll get it right okay well, we are doing, we're going to be doing someone's in the evening as well in the evening as well so we'll find that one so we can uh, we can do that <laughs> Um, as somebody so who's watched ben. Pride and Prejudice, the, I watched the Joe Wright version of Pride and Prejudice yesterday. I can mm. say that you are very accomplished. Oh, good accomplishments! Wow. Thank you so much. Great <laughs> <laughs> one. Thanks, Thanks very much. It's a nice watching. piece. Thank Cheers, you, Robin. Take care, Josie. Dallas. Clemson. Happy birthday on Saturday, Thank Sunday, you. or Monday. Birthday. 
Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to catch up on all the previous episodes, find out who's coming up on upcoming episodes and to leave a tip for acts and artists and venues who are hit hardest at the moment. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Oh, stay at home.